Hi, everyone. Welcome to 2018. We made it. We're here. Somehow, barely, limping our way into 2018. Uh, I want to do a short podcast intro just for a few reasons. Uh, first off, man, I probably sound way better than I ever have before. Probably not popping my peas. Um, I got a brand new mic. It's more professional, way more professional and better than the last one in a pop filter. I've heard your suggestions. I th- Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, it's been helpful. And um, the next two episodes of the podcast, today's episode is a mailbag with Shinobi. Um, next week is a regular podcast with Brian Crescente from Glixel. Those will be with my old mic. Um, today's episode will be basically the direct Skype call next week will be, um, it'll be better. That'll be a little bit better. And then moving forward um, for all of 2018, I will be using a much better mic with this pop filter. Uh, I backloaded a bit, got some stuff recorded before I traveled from Jacksonville to Pittsburgh for the holidays. So that'll be with the old setup. But moving forward, I will sound more like this, which is hopefully way better. I really, (laughs) it was one of those things as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh my God, I, I get it, people. I now understand what you were looking for and it's a lot better. So um, I just wanted to take a quick second to do two, well, three things. First is talk about this new mic. Second, um, the schedule just moving forward. Like I said, today is a mailbag episode with Shinobi. Uh, next week will be Brian Grisente talking about the new Glixel um, since the departure of all the old staff and him coming in. Um, after that, there's there's a lot. We have uh, Jan from Giant Bomb will be on. We have Jeff Kanata. We'll be talking about acting and hosting. And um, the one I, by the time this comes out, I might have tweeted about it. If not, I'll announce it now. I'm doing a mailbag with a past guest, now the former creative director behind the Dragon Age series. Um, we will have Mike Laidlaw. So if you have questions for the former creative director, director of you know, one of the biggest RPG series out there. Now's your chance. Please tweet at Josiah Renauden or at the 1099 podcast or email me josiahrenauden at gmail.com. I will read your questions out loud, ask them directly to Mike. We'll go back and forth and bounce those ideas off each other. So if you have any questions for the creative director of Dragon Age or just someone who had a lot of power at a AAA project in a major studio, this is your chance. Um, I, I, I think it's a cool way to get people who love those games or maybe just have um, interesting questions about that style of development to talk directly to that person. Let me help you do that. Uh, Mike is an awesome person. One of my most popular podcasts of 2017 was with Mike, so I thought it'd be great to bring him back. We'll also have one with Jason Concepcion, who is a writer at The Ringer, formerly at Grantland, and who is a host of the Achievement Oriented Podcast and Binge Mode Podcast, which is one of Time's best podcasts 2017. Uh, last thing, I just want to thank everyone for all the support throughout 2017. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that <laughs> the download numbers between 2016 and 17, like it's not even close. It's this this podcast has uh, taken off in a way that I never thought would happen. I guess, which you know, it, it it's been it's been cool to see. So thanks for all the support. Thanks to all the new listeners throughout the entire year. Thanks to all the people who come back each and every week. Um, no matter what the episode is, there's like these, these people who all, will always come back, who will always listen, who will always tweet out what I do, who will always like and share that kind of stuff. And that means the world that helps new listeners come in. That's always been the goal is 
even if you don't care who I am or you think I'm a <laughs> not great host, that's fine. Uh, initially, it was like, all right, if people care about the guests, they'll come back to the podcast. And now people just seem to care about the podcast. And that means a lot to me. So I'll be sending out a tweet in the near future, kind of asking for suggestions for 2018 guests. For now, there is a, basically the entire month of January is filled out. Um, the mailbag episode today is going to be a regular podcast, but moving forward, the more we do these mailbags, it'll, they'll likely be on Friday. So Monday is always the regular podcast. And if we do more of these mailbags, they'll kind of be supplemental episodes that I love doing, but they'll probably be, um, on a Friday show instead of Monday. So there's going to be some weeks where there's two podcasts, which is great if you are not sick of hearing my voice. And even if you are, my voice will sound much better moving forward. So hopefully appreciate that. All right, I'm done talking. Um, please enjoy this episode, this special mailbag episode with Shinobi. Hello and welcome to episode 126 of the 1099 for the week of January 1st, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is video game enthusiast, game industry insider, and the host of Shinobi Speaks, and most importantly, really, a returning guest, Shinobi602. <laughs> Shinobi, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How have you been, Josiah? It's been a I, long time. It has been a long time. I, the yeah. last podcast we did... Uh, yeah. A lot of people really seem to enjoy it. I have a um, former strong NeoGAF following. Now, I guess it would be Reset Era, <laughs> where they've been extremely nice um, and been like spreading those podcasts, a lot of the Giant Bomb ones and the one that you were on yeah. on there. So I've been looking forward to do this, and I was kind of trying to go through my head of what format do we want to do? Because last time we kind of talked about mm-hmm. you know your position as this insider about you getting to NeoGAF and about just right. some of the, the different developers, especially Bioware that you talk to. And um, right. I was like, going back and forth, like, should we do a preview of all the 2018 games? Should we do this? Mm-hmm. Should we do that? Mm-hmm. Um, instead, I, I want to do more Q&A episodes. Um, yeah. I want to do more ask the audience, what do they want to know about us? What do they want to know about the industry? I did one yeah. with my friend Joe Noop. I'm, I'm planning future ones with uh, mm-hmm. like Lauren Lanning, and I'm going to mm-hmm. try to reach back out to Mike Laidlaw, who's an incredible mm-hmm. human, and away from the Dragon oh, Age great team guy. now. And, yeah, yeah, and I kind of want to know what he's doing now. And yeah. one with you is in the top of my head. So we've, uh, we've reached out to a lot of people. We put out some calls. We've got a lot of yeah. incredible, deep questions, a lot of emails. So yeah, we're gonna like fun. Yeah, we're gonna go through some of these rapid fire. We're both some of them are directly for you, some of them are directly for me, some of them are directly to I have no idea. Some of them are a little <laughs> bit out there. Um, so I'll read out these people's names. None of these people said they want to be left anonymous. Um, nothing. None of this is too personally damning, so I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. <laughs> so let's start with some tweets. We have a, a bunch of tweets, then we have like a, about three really long emails that we'll get into. Yeah. So. Yeah. Let's just get right into it. Let's get into Automan at Automan King underscore. That is an interesting Automan King. King underscore. He has a three part question, so I'm going to just yeah. go part by part because it's a mm-hmm. lot to process at once. Mm-hmm. Let's start with this. Um, which game are you looking forward to most to come out? And I'll kick this off because it's actually something I hadn't really mm-hmm. thought about. Um, this is like super out of the timeline because I think this this our podcast will be coming out after the Game of the Year show, but okay. I'm recording the Game of the Year show tomorrow morning. 
Okay. Um, so I've been so focused on 2017 games, but if yeah. I'm just looking ahead to yeah. what is actually coming out, the main thing that came to mind immediately was Metro. <clears throat> yes. So Metro Exodus is very yes. high on my list because I'm really a fan of love Metro. It, it's it's a great series. I'm a really fan, a big fan of atmosphere of shooters Underrated that don't series. do yeah. the regular shooter thing. Mm-hmm. Like Wolfenstein really fascinated me because it it had this really bizarre mix of cover and run and gun, but the story yeah. was really kind of center facing. I play a Call of Duty game and it's yeah. a lot of really fun shooting with kind of a story in the background and right. multiplayer. You play Overwatch, which is maybe my favorite game of the last mm-hmm. five years, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it something like Metro is different and that game looks just visually incredible. Um, yes. I the, the writer of those novels I met at a PAX way back when and he's a super smart, super incredible no kidding, kid. that's neat. He's an awesome dude. There's an interview out there on the internet somewhere uh-huh. with with us and i the idea of a more open robust metro that hopefully still keeps those really isolated moments it almost has like a, a metroid isolated feel to it i want that. yeah yeah i think that's unique to uh the metro games because um you know like they have their they have their bouts of of you know high like octane action moments but at the same time they 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 really pace the game well. Like they have a lot of downtime, you know, a lot of moments where you're just soaking in the atmosphere, like you said. You're just soaking in where you are. Yeah. Um, you know, I love that about them, and I I love uh, not not a lot of shooters make me make me feel like I'm living in a world like Metro does. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. I um, the sense of place is incredible. Yeah. Like you... Yeah. It really it, it it feels like a tangible place, you know, as opposed to Call of Duty or Battlefield or Wolfenstein, you know, not 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 that that's a negative against those games. You know, they they do what they do well, but um, you know, for example, just in you know Metro Twenty Thirty Three and Last Light, like they have these little hub areas, you know, um, where you just walk around and and you just see just Russians, you know, underground, just families trying to get by, huddled around a fire, or some, you know, you see people just fishing in like the sewers, you know, or just random hanging their clothes on clotheslines, you and know, like stuff like that. Here's the best part about that when it comes to Metro and a lot of games, mm-hmm. these characters feel like they're ornaments that help decorate yeah. the main character. Like you're the exactly. tree and they're the ornaments. In Metro, you uh-huh. look at it as you could imagine and you almost feel these people's lives, their hardships, yeah. their families, what yeah. they've gone through. And I think um Wolfenstein, yeah. that was so what we mentioned, was actually mm-hmm. pretty good about that in that central hub area where these characters felt fully fleshed out and like they had Definitely. lives. But I think Metro is even better where you see this person, you're like, not Definitely. even related to me. They've been through so much. You can see it on their faces. You can hear it in the way they talk. And there yeah. is a concern that when you go overly open with a Metro game, do you yeah. lose that? Do you yeah. lose some of the character that's inherent to a linear game? Because I'm a fan mm-hmm. of linear games. I'm pretty mm-hmm. open about that, have been open about that. I, I love a lot of open worlds, but I'm mm-hmm. give me a you know an eight-hour linear experience and I'm set. So there's the concern yeah. of that, but it still stands right now at the top of my list. Yeah. This is what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, there is concern, but I know I think I, even, I remember reading for a kind of even addressing that specifically. You know, they said there's definitely going to be a lot of uh, a lot of linear sections, just like you know we know and love from the previous games. Um, but I, I think uh, it's kind of like a natural evolution to you know where the series has been going because you know Moscow is huge, Russia's huge. So um, you know I'm sure that's probably the top of their list is to keep that that structural you know structured linear focus while also kind of allowing you to 
you know, go wherever you want. Um, what a it's going to be a, to it's going to be a tough thing to balance. That's but, what I'm saying. Like, that's, yeah, I, I trust them. I trust, trust them. them. I do, I'm right in now. the same boat as you. I trust them. And like, yeah. now that I've shifted yeah. more toward working with the different development teams and talking yeah. to a lot of developers, like hearing yeah. that, I'm like, God damn, that's a hard yeah. thing to do. Like, good luck. Definitely, um, definitely and I hope my, they pull it off. My, yeah, definitely on my top 10 list for next year, for sure. So what's your number um, one? So Metro's my number one. I have a feeling I yeah. know what your number one is, but let me Maybe. I'm not sure. You might. I think... I know what you might be thinking. Yeah. Of. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but actually, at the top of my list is Cyberpunk. Oh, um, okay. That's that's actually that I too would buy. It was either Anthem or Cyberpunk. So it is uh, Anthem is number two. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Cyberpunk really. I mean, it really. It's it's so far away. I don't know if it's so far away, but it's funny because at the moment, um, there's not really a lot of information about it, right? And there's even less footage of it. <laughs> uh, if anything, it's just one trailer. Um, but it's just. Like you know, and The Witcher Three left such an impact on me. Um, even to this day, I'm just I'm replaying it every day. <laughs> I just share <laughs> screenshots every day on Twitter. You know, people that follow me see it every day. Um, it's an incredible game. Yeah, it's just that you know that game left such an impact on me that I'm I'm just automatically psyched about whatever CD Projekt Red does. Um, so the prospect of an even bigger RPG, which they've said it's even much bigger than The Witcher Three. Uh, you know, from the same team and one that's in, you know, like a science fiction cyberpunk setting. I'm a huge science fiction fan. I'm a nerd. Uh, that's my favorite genre. <laughs> science fiction. Yeah. yeah. Science fiction, my favorite genre. So that's why I love Mass Effect, you know, Bioware in general. But thinking of a science fiction game from CG Project Red that made The Witcher 3, so tantalizing to me. Yeah, that sounds like they're actually making it. It's so tantalizing. Like, I just, I cannot wait to see how it even looks like. What what the the core structure of the game is you know like minute to minute gameplay is it going to be you know a huge cyberpunk city where you can just go into any building can you you know it's gonna be flying cars everywhere can you get into a car and just go wherever and it, you know are, are the missions going to be similar to the witcher you know investigative missions are going to be you know the, it's going to be that same great writing yeah. the same composer that was on the witcher 3 is back and just all of that Ooh, i mean yeah it's, I don't care. I don't care that I haven't, I haven't seen anything. It just, just all of those facts combined, I'm automatically it's like, yep. I need sometimes it. it's better it when you don't see anything. I'd, sometimes yeah. I'd rather be surprised. Like there's a lot oh, of yeah. games where I'm like, don't show me a trailer. I'm already. I know the studio. I know the concept. I'm already in. And yeah, CD Projekt Red. Exactly. I, I went to. Um, God, it was E3 2013. It was uh-huh. the um the big year with the console price reveals yep. and stuff like that. And I remember yep. I was um. I was at the Xbox press briefing and we ended up getting seats directly behind CD Projekt Red. It was like eight of them in the front row because they were showing The Witcher 3 um, at that time. And just I got to talk to them before and after and they were just, Mm -hmm. you know, those developers you talk to where you just know they fucking love this shit. Like they're just fully in. And like a lot of people in this industry, you kind of have to love it if you're going to put the the crunch hours, if you're going to go through everything you go through to get there. But you can just get that sense of, they get this. They love this. I, I had like a uh, behind closed door demo of it, and For I'd sure. never been a Witcher person because it was yeah. PC and it, yeah. it was a little. Uh, I don't know. It was a little difficult to get the whole <coughs> pake, but uh, yeah, yeah, I I don't yeah. know if it's gonna come out next year. I hope it comes out in 2018. Uh, I doubt uh, it, but we'll yeah, see. you never know. I didn't think it. Never happen. know. Um, I'd yeah, gladly take it. I won't say no. Yeah, that's. Um, um, yeah, go that's... Up, yeah, it's definitely close to top of my list. We we could talk about. Uh, in upcoming games, like all oh, day, forever. Um, <laughs> but we have a lot of questions. So let's let's get yeah. to the next one from Auto Man, yeah. uh, which is this is a, there's, there's a lot we can talk about with this too. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think loot boxes will be labeled as gambling? 
And um, this is a weird one because I think I do not think they'll be directly labeled as gambling. I think what we saw with Battlefront Two is going mm-hmm. to change a lot. I think mm-hmm. we now saw we now saw what basically like we saw what people will give the greatest backlash to. We saw the ceiling mm-hmm. of this. We saw mm-hmm. okay, how much bullshit can we take before yeah. we're just not only are the consumers going to say no, but you're yeah. going to start getting negative press about it. Um, yeah. And negative press at a CNN level where they're calling the stuff out, and that's Star yeah, Wars. One, so it's a special once, case. once you hit the media, you, that, yeah, I think pub, that's not all press. Take notice. Not, not all press is good press. This is not the case. So I, I yeah. think what we saw in this EA case is um, yeah. that's the worst it can get. So I fully agree. Yeah, I, think I, I we'll don't have think... less of it. We'll have like different variations of loot boxes, and maybe not as many blind boxes, or maybe more yeah. open discussion about your chances with a blind box but i think we're going to see less of it like you said yeah i don't think there's going to be any like governmental action um at all but i think i think publishers you know i'm sure that what happened with battlefront 2 scared them um because i was just reading today uh, i think an article i forgot what what the uh the uh uh, this from an analyst i forgot what the company the only analyst yeah, no, no, no. There was a firm they put out um, expectations for Battlefront Two, where they think it's going to sell two and a half million below what EA expected. Um, two and a half million cop- units. Um, That's killer. Yeah, so I'm sure you know, I'm sure EA is feeling it, and they definitely, you know, other publishers probably had had similar plans to implement loot boxes like this. Um, I'm sure they they got their you know cold feet, and they're probably going back and reviewing. Okay, how do we avoid this kind of um, you know, public uh, this public outcry, yeah, like, public outcry. So, and it was the huge bummer is that, yeah, um, it sucks for that development team. It sucks for those writers, oh, yeah. those designers yeah. that their game was made the example of. And like I talked, um, Andrew Renee and I talked recently on a podcast about. Yes, there's people out there who are looking for like the quickest way to get a buck, but so many people yeah. in game development, even publishing, are trying to do the right thing and they love what they do. I would we even say mo- yeah, most of them even. Uh, yeah, I would say the majority of people do. And I know we, we like to kind of paint it as these evil empires and maybe yeah. that some people are not trying to do the right thing and they just want money. But yeah. it sucks that there are people who invested and They're just painted in a wide brush, yeah. Yeah, and, and now this game, like, Guess what? When we talk about Battlefront two, three years from now, we're not going to talk about the story. We're not going to talk about the multiplayer. We're going to talk exactly. about loot boxes. Exactly. And, and 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 the worst thing, what's even worse is, I've. It's not even just about you know Battlefront or Dice or EA now. It's even. I mean, I've seen it happen. You know, now now when people bring up Anthem, for example, mm-hmm. they're going to be like, "Well, sorry, look what look what happened to Battlefront 2. I've, I've seen this going on oh, now. Yeah. Like, every day I'm seeing of like, what's going to happen to that. Like oh it's you know I was excited but no it's EA now so now you know it's like man it sucks because you know maybe I don't know what how what Bioware's approach is going to be to it or what EA is going you know they're going to do with I'm sure there's going to be obviously it's going to be my it, look it's a Destiny ish game so it's obviously there's going to be microtransactions but yeah um you know there's different levels of it and how it can affect gameplay and game design so i'm not gonna you know worry my ass off just yet i yeah. let me see it first let me see how you know what it's about first and i expect there should be microtransactions games yeah. are expensive yeah when they're they're still 60 dollars. i understand yeah. 
the aspect of we they need to find ways to actually recoup these costs. Triple A games. This all this plays into a question later, but yeah, Triple A games are crazy right now with budgets, and they oh, need yeah. to find ways yeah. to make that money. And I get and it. We just need a, a way to of, make it. A lot of people don't understand that. It's no. like they they just see you know I gave you my sixty bucks that you know that's all you need, and I mean that like that's fine, right? Okay, you you paid your sixty dollars, you got the base experience, you got the complete base experience. You know, you're good, but if, you know, they have, if developers want to implement, like, you know, revenue generating systems after launch, post release, that don't affect you. Mm. I'm not talking about Battlefront 2's loot boxes, because I haven't, I haven't even played the game yet, so I don't know. I know it affects pr- the progression, things like yeah. that, so I don't know exactly what the details of that are, but, you know, if, if, I'm fine with developers coming up with systems that generate revenue for them post release to, Help them recoup costs and to put that money into like you know development of whatever the next project they're working on. You know, it's not affecting me. That's fine. Like, well, and like, uh, I don't want to both sides this, and I, I guess yeah. I, I'll play devil's advocate. Yeah, we speak about like people are just expecting to pay sixty dollars, and you know that's all they want. And they they should yeah. get everything. That's how yeah. it's been for so long. So I guess when yeah. things change, and yeah. I think if there's anything I've learned doing this podcast, is there's a fundamental misunderstanding. Between yeah. you know how games are made, what they cost, and what the consumer thinks they cost, and how they're made. So yeah. when you are this consumer, we're like, wait a minute, yeah. why do why am I paying more? I'm getting a similar experience, and yeah. they're like, wait, it's not my problem. If AAA games, if you're spending an unbelievable amount of AAA games, figure out a better way to do it. Yeah. But this is right now the solution. And I recently had Marcus Leto on this podcast who mm-hmm. was a co-creator of Halo and is now doing something else at V1 Interactive. We went into microtransactions because they're going to yeah. announce their game soon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not inside info they've talked about on Twitter. Uh, yep. And I was talking to him about like, how do you deal with that? And he was very open about, you know, there, we need to find a better solution. This isn't it. This is, it's, it's more of a band-aid right now where this is how we're making this money. People are going to keep buying this. It's doing really, really well. There's a lot of whales out there who are going to spend all this money on this, but we got to find a better way forward that makes sense. And mm-hmm. uh, just again, just like kind of summarize this question. Neither of us think it's going to be gambling, but this yep. battlefront issue is going to change a lot of people's plans in the future. And no one's going to be, everyone's going to be concerned when they roll that out because they don't want their game to be defined by the loot boxes. Agreed. No, I agreed. I mean, I've even seen comments referring to, you know, other studios that are, that are just announced games that I wouldn't even expect to see loot boxes or anything like that um, being implemented to them. And people, you know, the first comments I see is, "God, please don't, please don't have loot boxes or whatever." You know, it's like they're yeah. expecting it now. People are terrified, um, and like, and like, I yeah. somewhat rightfully so. But I, again, I think there's for me it's a disconnect because I don't, I've never felt the compulsion to buy loot boxes. But also, there are people out there who do, and you don't want to prey on that. So it's. Right. It's it's a it's a weird thing. It's a really complicated thing, but that's kind of yeah. where I stand on it. Um, it last part of Auto Man's question. A lot of good questions uh-huh. from Auto Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one's super interesting. Will Konami give away the rights of MGS and the Fox Engine? Um, mm. Boy, uh, yes, I never you never hear talk about Konami much anymore. Because you know? they don't never. really make video games, do they? Yeah, like, you know, they're barely. There's that. Is it Metal Gear Survive? Is that the the one that's uh, coming? Yeah, out? that's. So, yeah, I guess. So no. I still have this really major theory on that game, and I, I could already be proven wrong. Maybe there's already gameplay out there. I know there's a beta coming out soon. Uh, I think uh-huh. that's going to be a battle royale game. Um, I think hmm. they're going to add a battle royale mode to that. If you think about think about if you use the Fox Engine and if you pull a lot from Metal Gear Solid Five and you make a yeah. Metal Gear Solid Five game with battle royale there's your eight million people buying that yeah like that's that's, that's where you're gonna get out of that 
see i mean it definitely seems like it's um like the game itself could be uh you know re retooled to to be a battle royale game so yeah well, i mean, I mean I look at fort uh fortnite like that's you yeah. still have your zombie mode that you've already had in this but you know add a an airship <clears throat> drop everyone out of some sort of airship they all go down everyone has like Maybe you throw different elements like, oh, hey, there's actually a Metal Gear randomly in this map that you all yeah, have to deal with yeah, at the same yeah. time. The name is yeah, Survive. It sounds like fun. A it's right. Bit, yeah. I, the problem is, I'd play that game. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, it's such I'm a sure cheap knockoff yeah. of it, but I would oh. play the shit out of that game. Oh, um, I know. I'm, that's actually, I didn't even think about that. You know, like having my Metal Gear Please hire me for your consultancy. Something. I'm very good great. at ideas and video games. Uh, <laughs> I, I, in terms of the rights, I don't. I think yeah. a lot of every, a lot of their future plans for Metal Gear are going to be based off Survive. Let's see what Survive does, mm-hmm. um, and then that'll be interesting to go from there. Because I, I don't think they're really in the game making business that much anymore. They're not too worried about that. They're yeah. into the money making, and I think they're going to continue to license out if they can. Fox Engine, uh, like there was like Cry Engine with Crytek. I, I think there'll be right. a similar case with Fox Engine. Where it's like, hey, do you want to use this? Pay us I a agree. lot of money. Do a lot of stuff yeah. like that. I agree about, you know, I think that's probably one avenue they're going to take, licensing it out. Um, But, yeah, I don't don't foresee Konami ever selling Fox Engine or the rights to to Metal Gear unless, you know, unless some, you know, their finances were in the gutter or something. Yeah. (laughs) Last-ditch effort. But, uh, you know, for one, you know, like that engine is... is, uh, You know, it's what they use for the the Pro Pro Evolution Soccer Series. Um, And, you know, I don't know if they're still doing, you know, still up for this, but I remember a year, I don't know, back in 2015 after, you know, the whole, you know, hubbub with Kojima and all that, um, I know they expressed interest in making more metal, uh, you know, quote, you know, core Metal Gear games. Um, Yeah, I remember reading that. um, So... I don't know. Maybe that you know, that's, that's their money. That's their biggest money maker in terms of hardcore IPs that they have left. I guess. Um, yeah. You know. So they're, they're all about the profit. Um, as as are most companies, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's just but, a little more naked in Konami's case. Yeah. It just, yeah, they're like um, but, just very out there with it. Hey, you know, I I believe them when they say that you know they're not done with the Metal Gear series. So I don't know if that's going to be more Metal Gear survives or you know more core you know actual you know traditional oh, metal gear yeah uh, I, everything is going to be based i mean again these are all predictions if metal gear survive if i'm right and they have a battle royale mode in that game that game yeah. comes out in march let's say i don't even yeah. i have no idea it may and yeah. it comes out core game zombies whatever but also as battle royale mode they do the battle royale mode either free to play or something like that some additional add-on you could buy solo and that does five to seven million yeah. Um, you will not see another core Metal Gear game. That will be it. They will yep. they will support that like Grand Theft Auto, like like Rockstar supports Grand Theft Auto Five Online. Like yeah. that'll be the model because yeah. we've both been pretty clear. They're not in the game making business or in the money making business, which everyone is, but they're mm-hmm. that's their main focus right now. I I think that's what's going to happen. If you mm-hmm. talk to me in a year, and if I'm an idiot and I'm wrong, you can say it on Twitter <laughs> or whatever social media we're using at that time, and I I will yeah. eat that. Yeah. Um, but that's where I see this going. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I guess we'll, you know. we'll see. Um, let's go to the next one because we have a yeah. million questions. This one's from JT at Flunky. 
Um, <laughs> this person wants to know. Okay. <laughs> Pick one desert island game that doesn't rhyme with labitrotry. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I know Flunky. He's he's a friend of mine on Twitter, actually. <laughs> yeah, he's um, uh, he knows you pretty well. I'll, I'll yeah. start with you. If you can actually, maybe it's the entire Mass Effect series. Maybe it's an older game. What's kind he of know, your? He knows the answer. It, it's I mean the Mass Effect trilogy, obviously. I <laughs> oh, hold on. Say? This is just one game, so you have to pick one one uh, game out of the one. series. Ooh, first one. wow. The first one? That's my honestly. That's my favorite out of the whole uh, the whole franchise. You're yeah. One of the first people I've heard say I, that. I, I don't think so. Real quick, because I don't want to go off on a tangent. On this, it takes a long time. I don't take up most of the time. But you know, just you know, real quick. I mean, I don't think it's the it's the uh, most polished in the series, or has the you know the best gameplay in terms of like combat or mechanics. Or yeah, I just it's it's my favorite because it introduced me to the series. It yeah. and. It, it, I found I I started following it back in two twenty two thousand five when it was first unveiled with that one minute teaser, you know, like this is Mass Effect, and I was like, oh my god, this looks like Star Trek on steroids. I'm in. <laughs> um, so it, it just introduced me to the world and the alien, you know, all the different aliens and the you know the the Milky Way galaxy and all that, you know. So it just holds a special place for me. That's why it's my favorite. So yeah. No, it's a good yeah. answer. It's it's what yeah. I expected from you, but it's also a good answer. Uh, <laughs> by the way, never I've not played a single minute of Mass Effect. Any of the games oh no, I, I own Mass Effect Andromeda. It's still in the plastic. Uh, oh, you wound me. I know. I'm sorry. Um, no, I have two answers for this question, and I know it says one, but let me explain. So if yeah. there's internet connection on this <laughs> island, which there's not going to be, but let's pretend there is. It's Overwatch all day, not even a conversation. I play. I play as much Overwatch this year as I did last year. I've probably put like 500 hours in that game, which might be the most I've put in any game. I am a massive fan of Overwatch. It's one of my favorite games of the last... It sounds crazy, but... I'm sure many would say the same. Yeah, I am a huge Overwatch person, and that would be my first choice. If there's no Wi-Fi on this island, shocker. There probably Mm -hmm. wouldn't be. Um, This is a weird one. I would probably choose Final Fantasy X, which isn't even my favorite Final Fantasy, but Final Fantasy X is up there on me on the list in terms of my favorite JRPGs, and the Sphere Grid is so expansive. The Sphere Grid allows you to... Mm -hmm. I have filled out the Sphere Grid for every single character, and let me just say that takes... Mm-hmm. Two to three hundred hours. It's it, it, it's a lot. Um, wow, and as Lord. an older person now, I'd probably be even slower at it because I'm not as good as video games as I was when I was a young whippersnapper. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I feel like you could spend a nearly endless amount of time customizing your characters and getting them to just be incredibly more powerful, even more yeah. compared to my actual Final Fantasy game, which is eight or mm-hmm. a seven or a nine or anything like that. So if there's mm-hmm. no internet, I think the most bang for the buck. Plus a game I really enjoy would be Final Fantasy X, even though there are some really cringy moments in that game. Hey, nothing wrong with that, man. I, you know, I played I played Final Fantasy X back in the day. Um, the game's good. It's actually one of the few Final Fantasy Final Fantasies I've played. <laughs> Very it's few. It's really so. it, it's a really good game. Uh, yeah. The main character is not great. Actually, I re-reviewed it or reviewed the um, HD version for Gamespot, mm-hmm. and it was a nice revisit of that. Just be like, hey, oh, one nice. of my favorite games. Ten two is in there. Which whatever, take it or yeah. leave it. But ten yeah. is an incredible game. I don't care Very what anyone nice. says. Uh, this one's awesome. from Pinkman at Megafan44. This one's all for you. Uh, Shinobi, what do you think Microsoft's game output will be in 2018, and do you expect any big surprises from them? Mm. Also, I mean, I'll add to it as another part of his question. I think it all yeah. kind of, it's, it's just a big Xbox question. How yeah. successful do you think the Xbox One X will be 12 months from now? So kind of just, hey, let's take the temperature of where Microsoft is at with the Xbox. They just released the Xbox One X. Yeah, um, yeah. I have my feelings on it, but let's hear kind of where you're at with everything. Yeah. Um, 
So I guess um, so. The first part was about the game output um, in 2018, and if there's any surprises. Um, yeah, I mean, we already know of you know like a, a few tentpole releases, right? So you got you got Sea of Thieves coming in March, which you know I think it's it's going to do relatively well um, in terms of sales and um, kind of uh, consumer interest. Um, and I, I love think, rare too. I, I, I know I, I know it's not the same rare, but I still love rare. Yeah, yeah, I love what I love the concept of rare, you know. Yeah, I love um, the thought and like yeah, the origin yeah, of rare. Yeah, um, I think it's going to get a lot of continued support from Microsoft and Rare. They probably want it to be big. I'm sure they do, because um, I've heard that you know Microsoft, you know, from different sources, I've heard that Microsoft has has invested heavily into the into the game. So yeah. I'm sure they want to definitely want want that to be big. Um, I mean, you have State of Decay two. And Crackdown three during the summer, you know, and into the rest of the year. So, you know, I think people are interested in both those well enough. Um, State of Decay two could be massive. Like yeah. that could be their thing. And like people don't really think of it that way. They don't think of that as like a core thing. They're like, oh, I, I bet Crackdown yeah. would be bigger. No, State of Decay could be massive because that first it one could, was huge. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh it's another kind of what I mean share, shared world, you know, zombie shooter open world game. Um, the first one. You know, kind of put them on the map, and mm. I'm I'm sure Microsoft is going to market it heavily too. So you know, it's probably going to, you know, I'm sure it'll do well. Um, I genuinely can't say what to expect in terms of surprises because I mean I don't know from where I'm standing. You know, we we know what most of their first party studios are doing, right? You know, three four three is busy with the next Halo. You know, Halo Six. Um, yep. You know, Coalition is obviously is you know probably on the next Gears game. Um, I'm I'm betting we'll finally get an you know a big info dump uh, on Halo Six next year. Um, probably a, you know likely holiday launch for that. I'm sure um, it's been it's next holiday with three years since Halo Five. I think. Yeah, this, um, we yeah, have a question about that later. That I yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. let's say yeah yeah. Um, so you know I think I also think people might be expecting a new Forza Horizon. Obviously, since this year was Forza Seven. Um, you know, from from playground, but I don't know. I'm hesitant to say if that's the case because we we know they're they're on a huge hiring spree. This is public. This isn't like a secret. No, they're on yeah. a huge hiring spree for for the new RPG IP that they're working on. You know, some there's some new open world RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lost this Odyssey two. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but well, for it's publicly, you know, what from what we've read online or what i think from postings you know they're they're kind of taking inspiration from the witcher 3 which man hey anyone who's taking inspiration you're from already witcher in. 3 automatically got my attention so and it's playground they make awesome open worlds so i'm really you know looking forward to see what they what they do um so and i don't know the ins and outs of the studio so i don't know if the whole team is now on that or just a small pre-production crew while you know a new you know force horizon 4 is coming still so i don't know um but in terms of uh, what was it the other question was about the Xbox One X? Um, yeah, I mean, o- yeah. Overall, I think I mean, I think the Xbox One X is going to be successful for Microsoft. That you know, just like the PS4 Pro is for Sony, I don't see any difference. Um, pretty much, uh, you know, look, both both Sony and Microsoft understand that the you know majority of consumers out there, you know, they're not hardcore gamers, right? They're not willing to fork over four or five hundred dollars. Most of them aren't. So, you know, I'm sure both of these companies know that, you know, kind of the standard PS4s, the, you know, the Xbox One S, they're probably going to be the main revenue drivers. And, you know, like these higher end systems, you know, are going to sell to a much smaller, 
you know, niche audience, and I'm sure they're okay with that. So, you know, yeah. I, I can't, I don't know. I'm not an analyst. I can't give like sales numbers, but we have Michael. Well, I'll call Michael Pactor right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, I, I, just, and... I just know, I, I just know, like, you know, I think the X is, is going to speak to the audience, and I'm sure it'll, it'll sell in line with, you know, whatever Microsoft's expecting. Um, yeah. It's, so I've been called an Xbox One X hater uh, online <laughs> quite often. So I had a podcast yeah. with Jeff Bacalar of CNET and the, the Beastcast. And uh, at the very end, this is like right when the embargo was lifting for the Xbox One yeah. X, and I was not complaining about it. Um, by the way, I own—I don't own a Switch yet, and that's nothing yeah. against the Switch. I just haven't bought one yet. I own every other. I have a PC. I have a PS4. I have an Xbox. I have an Xbox yeah. One. Uh, I'm still in this kind of spot where I don't exactly know who the Xbox One X is for. I, I guess I do to a certain mm-hmm. extent. There is that enthusiast, but it's in this weird price range where it's like if, if you're not going to get an S. Why wouldn't you just get a? P- it's, it's, it, just, it's it's for that really hardcore enthusiast, you know, the one that oh, knows, the one that knows. The thing, like, here's why you should get a PC because now a lot of the Xbox One games are cross-platform yeah. on Microsoft. Yeah, that's and, true. Like, on that's PC true. and Xbox, there there's still there's still a population out there that, I mean, you know, I don't know how else to put it. There's still a population that's probably a sizable one that really just doesn't care about. Building a PC or You're even right. buying like a, you know a powerful game PC, they just want to put a they just want to put a console under their entertainment center and just sit back on the couch and just you know play on their console. And you're totally right. I just think that audience I'm sure, I'm, who yeah, is, just, doesn't who is not okay with the um with the S, the audience who's not okay with the S, but uh is not willing to invest in a PC is small. So I guess yeah. and I, when I was talking to Pactor about the Pro, we, I've had on the podcast a couple of times. We we talked about yeah. the Pro. I think right before it, right before it came out, or right when it came out. He was pretty clear about like this will not be the new standard for PS4. This will be every one in four, one in five PS4s are going to be sold. Yeah. Yeah. I would assume, and I could be entirely wrong. I might be. An, I'm not an analyst either. Mm-hmm. I would assume it's closer, but like to every one in eight Xbox ones is an X because the difference Probably. you can get an S for two fifty, and you you get an X for five hundred, and that's Probably, huge. Yeah. That's twice yeah. as yeah. much. That's math. Yeah, right? and I mean, <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, but I mean, the thing is, you know, you might be right, and. I mean, who knows? I don't know if Microsoft is would be disappointed in that. Honestly, I mean, maybe they maybe that's what they're uh, that's in line with what they're expecting. I mean, like I mean, Phil Spencer be. said specifically. He said, "We know the S is going to be the, the biggest. You know what pe- most people are going to pick up is going to be an S." And he's like, "We're fine with that." And I mean, they said the X is for you know that one in I I don't know. He didn't say this word by word, but you know that you know that one person here, here and there that just wants. A higher end, you know, like 4K experience on a console on their TV, and you know they're out there. So I mean, well, let me ask you one thing before we move on to the next question. Yeah. Do you think when they started developing Scorpio at the time, Xbox One X, now they yeah. were taking a gamble that people still really cared about console power, and that by the time it was actually releasing, the, the Switch pretty clearly proved that power is not the main thing. It's it's the software, yeah. it's the creativity behind it. No one really cares about the power of the PS4 compared to the Xbox One X. They just care yeah. about the games, the experience, where their friends are. Do you think they took a little bit of a gamble on people caring about power, and then a little yeah, bit too late realized so. no one really cares? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I don't know if I wouldn't say no one cares, you know, about the X right now, but I, I think because um, I, I remember. Um, you know, before the Scorpio was revealed, and like you know, months before it was even rumored, you know, by Eurogamer, whoever uh, I forgot where where it originally started, um, mm. Kotaku, maybe I think. Um, even months before that, I was hearing about it. Um, private conversations, and they were saying that a lot of the higher ups at, at Microsoft, they genuinely 
felt that the reason they fell so far behind was because of the power difference. Yeah. I, you know, and I was, I was just laughing. I'm like, I'm like, did they really think that? Because I mean, there were so many other factors, you know, price marketing, um, marketing was the, biggest you know, one. Game, yeah, software, you know, versus just simple power. And Nintendo has proven time and again, the power that doesn't matter. Not that it doesn't matter at all, but it, you can overcome it, um, you know, in, in other ways. So, I know, I know a lot. I'm sure a lot of the Xbox leadership felt that the power difference was really hampering them, and that's that's probably why they got to work on it, you know, so quickly. Um, I, but I just think it's too little, too late. Not that I think it's not gonna, you know, at least make some extra revenue for them, but it's I don't, it's not gonna make a dent, and you know, in the I don't want to sound like console warrior ish right no, now. No, but if I, we're I, really don't, I don't care. I really gonna, they're not gonna catch up. I don't care about that at all. I really, I love my Xbox. I love PlayStation. I love my Switch. I don't care at all about who's what, and I just—it's not going to close any gap. It's not going to make a dent at all. Um, well, let's let's fast forward to this question. We actually have way later on this list we have because yeah. it relates exactly to this, and I think it's important to talk about. Sure. And I'll sure. start by talking about this because I was formerly in the media. This is from Faith at Faith Twelve, and yeah. this person asked, "What is the gaming industry journalist obsession with talking about Xbox and how uncertain its future is, yeah. especially in light of how great sales of games hardware have been overall? How much mm-hmm. money is being spent on Xbox Live compared to PSN? Which I don't really know if there's a stat." about that i haven't seen that Mm -hmm. comparison really yet and xbox getting a seat at the executive table so you mentioned before that like and we're both this way we we love all the consoles everyone wants all console makers to do well yeah because if that's better for everyone well not everyone does we do (laughs) people who are involved in games want that because it is better for everyone there are people out reasonable people (laughs) yeah reasonable non-babies are out there saying like i want people to succeed um i don't this is just from being in the media yeah. journalists don't have an obsession yeah with it when the xbox i was at that like i just mentioned before i was at that e3 mm-hmm. that first appearance there was that first press conference and then there was the e3 press conference yep. they they came off so poorly they came yeah. off like they just didn't get it they had yeah. no idea they were too early on this idea of always online they were too early on mm-hmm. the like digital and not being able to like hand someone your game like so mm-hmm. expertly mm-hmm. put by sony and they were playing on TV. It, it was it was bizarre. Yeah. It was out of touch, and especially especially after the momentum they built with the 360. You know, like it was it, in it was like the PS2 to PS3 transition, where you're yeah. like, wait a minute, yeah. what? Six hundred dollars, and they just didn't get it. Yeah. And the the unprecedented move to back up that stuff was fucking nuts. Like, and yeah. that's it, it's unprecedented yeah. is the right word. No one had seen anything like that. So yeah. they've been playing catch up ever since the start. The fact that we we still yeah. don't talk about enough the fact that. 360 was on top of the world. Everyone had a 360 when I was yeah, in yeah. high school I, and college. Yeah, I love my 360. Yeah. I played yeah, it much more than my PS3. Had yeah. that. I, I was one of those like early kids who had a PS3 and was like, I'm ride or die for Sony. And I was yeah, like, yeah. You know, arguing about it because you're like that when you're a child and don't yeah. know better. Yeah. Uh, when you're an adult and you're doing that, just grow up. Sure. But yeah. there was that's been the narrative since the start and that's not in a, a media fabricate idea I'm, I'm not going at this person i understand especially yeah. if you're an xbox fan and you see all the articles you're like what the hell like yeah. this is the xbox is good what are you talking about but that's yeah. been the conversation since the start and yeah. they have been playing catch up they are not yep. going to catch up but they've needed exactly. to and it's been like that's why the xbox one x was so interesting to me early on because it, it, it felt like they were still behind kind of in terms of they were dredging up this 2015 narrative of the power is the issue. And it was yeah. not that it, yeah. we're 2017 and the switch is doing incredibly well because mm-hmm. it's, it's innovative. It has incredible 
uh, mm-hmm. games early on with Mario and Zelda, and no mm-hmm. one really cares that it can't run Doom at the, the you know the, the best fr- you know FPS mm-hmm. and the best mm-hmm. graphics overall. So I don't think this is an obsession by media. Some people maybe harp on it because it gets yeah. clicks, and when you throw that out on Twitter, suddenly you get retweeted all over the place. But I think this yeah. is a reality. I fully agree, and I think like to to piggyback on that um, even more. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I can't speak to what every journalist is feeling, um, but, you know, everyone has different opinions and different things they focus on. But I think, like, a common theme I've seen from from some journalists is kind of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe, like, an apprehensiveness to Microsoft's, you know, first-party output and and their their dedication, you know, to their first-party studios because, you know, they've had a, a number... You know, of recent, you know, over the last two, three years, you know, well, one, two, three years, you know, of of high profile, you know, like studio closures, um, you know, game cancellations, um, you know, on their their first party output in terms of you know you know big budget games at least, you know, they always have these little great things like Ori and um, you know, Cuphead things like that, but yeah. I think in terms of big budget releases, um, you know, in recent years, it's it's been relegated to a um, you know, like a, a predictable. Uh, pattern of you know Halo, Gears of War, Forza, and rinse and repeat. Um, and to be fair, obviously so- Sony's had some hiccups too. You know they clo- like you know closing Evolution Studios, canceling you know, um, Sony Santa Monica's new IP years ago. But I think yeah. it's not on the scale, the same scale. And you know, like with Xbox's lo- larger focus on you know games as a service, multiplayer experiences, I think all of that. You know the first party situation, and you know what you said. I think it all just combines to form like a big uncertainty cloud for some people. Um, so, I, I mean, I doubt anyone's. No one's really saying like Microsoft's going to close the Xbox division next week, right? Um, no, the industry's healthy, and yeah, it, it, it's even if the Xbox One X is not close to the numbers I just, that I, like, I just like, think. I guess all in all, I, I think people think and, and they know that that Microsoft can do better. You know, they can do much better. Uh-huh. Here's also a major thing, and I'm going to skip ahead again to a different yeah. question because I think this yeah. one relates to it too. This is from Brian at Banami. Banami. Um, this is something we were talking about earlier with Halo, where he asks, "Why has the Halo front been so quiet?" Yeah. The Halo teaser for the next installment usually appears by now. Is hitting a delay? Halo yeah. has always been on a three-year cycle. Yeah. It's it's weird. We talk about these mainstays for Microsoft and how they've kind yeah. of maybe played it safe or been a little boring in how mm-hmm. they're doing a lot of their. Mm-hmm. I feel like back in the day. PS3 versus Xbox 360, there was kind of like maybe there there started to be almost more <coughs> Sony exclusives, but they were like yeah. medium hits. Yeah. And Gears of War and Halo were so it's transformational, huge. so yeah. big. Yeah. It, it didn't matter if you had three medium hits on the Sony front. Here's Gears yeah. of War and fuck off everyone else. Yeah. Here's the new Halo and get yeah. out of my way, everyone else. Exactly. Halo and Gears, Gears of War do not feel that way anymore. No, when not it, at all. That Gears of War game kind of came and went. The last Halo kind of came and went. They're not bad but, games. They're I mean, not I'll, worse. yeah, I'll I'll be I'll be I'll be honest. Um, you know, from different sources that I talked to, I mean, Gears. I've been told Gears of War four woefully undersold expectations. Oh yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't um, even. I didn't play it. Yeah, and, and Halo did the same thing. And what's I mean, I I played through it. I loved it. Great. I mean, that's what's sad, you know. Um, it's just it doesn't the IP doesn't hold the same weight as it. it's like it had it. It still had a been there, done that feeling to it. And so did Halo Five. So you know, to answer uh, Brian's question, you you know, like 
well, first of all, there can't be a delay if there's been no release date announced. Right? Yeah, so. like maybe an internal <laughs> delay. Maybe they were like they were shooting. Yeah, maybe. I mean, who knows? It's speculation right now. But you know, who knows? Like, um, shit. Yeah, it it's almost be always been on on a three year cycle, right? But yeah, I mean, I believe. Well, I'm sure. I, I'm sure Halo. I know Halo Five didn't sell as much as Microsoft hoped it would. It didn't have that that huge, you know, uh, tent pole like you know polarizing just. Everybody get out of the way. Here's Halo. It just felt like a middle chapter. It just felt like, eh, here's yeah, here's the thing before the actual big yeah. thing you're waiting for. It just not that so badly, you know. It's just under expectations and didn't get the critical acclaim probably they were hoping for. And I think they're doing so. You know, for the next Halo, Halo Six, you know, or whatever they call it. Uh, you know, I think they're they're doing everything they can probably to keep it under wraps. And I think they're doing everything they can to just reignite that passion for the Halo IP. So. I, I'm sure they're keeping everything about under wraps and really just hammering away, so so that it makes that huge splash that they're hoping for, you know, when it's finally shown. So, I'm I'm positive we'll we'll see it next year for sure. I mean, there's can't there can't be there's no I'm, way they will show it. <laughs> I'm so fascinated because yeah, yeah I mean, none neither of those franchises will ever sell exceptionally yeah. poorly, but their expectations are so high that they have to do something big, I think, to get people back. And it's funny. You, you yeah. look at Call of Duty, which is again like tentpole biggest game every year, but it was yeah. you know less and less sales and less sales, and then with advanced warfare. Well, actually, warfare I, it's and, actually I think they're saying uh, I just read today or yesterday from the MPDs. I mean, they're saying World War Two is I mean, so exactly and that's vastly outselling. Like so, uh, that's the difference. Yeah. So what, yeah. they were doing like modern stuff over and over and over, and it was going lower, 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 lower. And I talked yep. to Michael Pactor right before. Uh, World War II came out, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Here's my prediction. That's going to be uh, one of the best-selling, if not the best-selling, Call of Duty games." At the time, right. I was like, "That yeah. seems crazy." Okay, yeah. and then here we go. Because they <coughs> went back to their roots in a weird way. Yeah, people were so sick of World War II, and then they yeah. were so amped about modern warfare, and then they were so sick of modern and advanced combat that they're so hungry for World War II. But with mm-hmm. Halo and Gears of War, it's what do you go back to? You don't right. have anything. You have I mean, to go. Forward, Hon- right? Honestly, I, I don't know what the solution would be. Like, I don't know. I, I don't. No I mean, you know, I'm no game designer, so I don't know. I can't tell them what to do, but I don't know what they can do to just reignite. I don't think it'll ever take that passion back. You know, where it used to be. You know, where Halo. So like, I mean, Halo Three was huge. It. You know, what, what was it, like? A, I don't know, like a three hundred million dollar. I had twenty four so hours or something. Three parties surrounded by Mountain Dew yeah, and man. a whole bunch <laughs> of people and land parties. Yeah. Like that was my life. Yeah, and I was like, I was there at the midnight launch. I mean, it, waiting outside my GameStop. I was eighteen years old, just waiting out there in the cold. And <laughs> I don't think uh, they can recapture. I don't think that's there anymore. I, yeah, I think yeah. I, like Overwatch is big. PUBG is big. There's different types of games out there, and I'm not yeah. saying like. I'm not saying, all right, here, here's how they bring it back. Fucking loot boxes. Like, no, I'm not going to yeah. say that. I'm not saying there needs to be a Gears of War Battle Royale, and, you know, maybe that would do it. Like, I, I don't know, but yeah. I think the fervor that's around that, you're not going to get that back to the extent it was, unless they know something I don't, and they are yeah. all smarter than me. So maybe they do. But <sighs> from the outside looking in, I just don't see it. I agree. Um, and maybe that's why they take more sucks, time. And it because, you know, cause I, love, I still love Halo. I 100%. Love it. I love that last game was fun, too. Yeah, I liked it. I mean... It just wasn't, yeah. the, like, the monumental, holy shit, stop everything you're doing game. Which yeah. is fine. Not every game is going to be. But when you're Halo and you're at that budget, you almost have to be. Yeah. Um, and this next one is from Tamarin at Kinzen11. He's a lot yeah. of questions. Let's start with this one. Uh, I'm going to combine these two because I kind of have a point about this. So he asks, are, are games better than they were 10 years ago? And is the game industry unsustainable? So 
I mm. think pretty objectively, it'd be difficult to argue that games are worse. I think games are better than they were 10 years ago, mm-hmm. without a doubt. But I also have a pretty strong, not a theory, but maybe just my belief is that there is a golden year for games in your life. And a lot of that comes during your more developmental years, like 11, 12, 13. That yep. A lot of my favorite games of all time will be my favorite games of all time because it was a time, it was a place, it was when you had less responsibility, you had more time to just throw yourself into these games. And yeah. like, that's why I look back at like Final Fantasy VIII, Banjo-Kazooie, yeah. Um, there was a lot of games. Uh, I talked about Final Fantasy X earlier. PS2, PS1 era games, Nintendo 64, uh, Super Nintendo. Yeah. That those will define a lot of my upbringing and define a lot of my opinions on games. That yeah. a lot of people will say games were better back then, but it's only because you were a different person back exactly. then. Maybe you exactly. lose fervor later on. Maybe you lose time later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. I would think it's really difficult to argue that games are worse, but when you look at that question of in, is the game industry unsustainable, we talked earlier about mm-hmm. using loot boxes and microtransactions for AAA games. The only reason I would say they might be worse is that right now AAA games are in a place where I don't think you can keep making them the way you are yep. um, and expect to keep studios open. It's yep. not sustainable if one miss yeah. sinks a company. Let's be yep. honest. With Battlefront 2, with what their expectations yep. were... Yeah. What if that sinks yeah. that team? You don't know. It's possible that a, just a mistake like that, this ancillary thing that is not really ancillary because it was so baked into the progression, but this mm-hmm. thing that isn't even a part of the campaign and isn't a part of the actual playing the multiplayer, just the progression, mm-hmm. might sink that game and put people out of jobs. So it's games it's are sad. better, but this is not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I mean... Better is you know pretty vague defining word. You know, so many ways you can you know talk about that. I mean, better in what way? You know, so I think there's obviously, I mean, you know, better production values put into games now. Development techniques are better. You know, engines are better. Visuals, sound, music, physics, you know, realism are all you know obviously better now. But you know, game design in its essence, I mean, I'm not really a judge on that. I'll say that. You know, personally, I mean, like you, right? I have my, I still have my favorite games of all time from all those years ago. You know, Super Mario 64 will always, you know, hold a, you know, a place in my heart. Um, yeah. What else? You know, the original Metal Gear Solid, stuff like that. But, you know, I'll say that personally, I'm having more fun playing games now than I, than I was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, simply because, you know, I, I've gotten older and I have, like now I now I know what I want from a game, right? I have specific things I look for in a game, I guess. And yeah, it's not just the box art that drives you to it. Yeah, you know, understanding what goes into it. Yeah, and I'm just I'm old enough I'm old enough to recognize what I really like, and you know, like the stories I look for, and and you know, deep narrative, deep character development, you know, stuff like that. So I I just appreciate games more now, um, being being an adult. So you know, I, I'm having more fun playing games now than I used to. Um. Uh, in terms of like you know the games industry, um, I don't I don't think there's gonna be any kind of crash anytime soon. But you know, like you said, I think publishers and developers are <clears throat> definitely trying to come up with ways to um, <clears throat> you know mitigate those exploding budgets you know, where they can. It's but so, they're not sustainable so, unless so crazy. unless you're Grand Theft Auto or um, you know Call of Duty. <laughs> you I'm I'm sure a lot of these studios are are you know, trying to keep their heads above water as best they can. So, you know, I, 
You know what else to say about that? Um, I bet even Call of Duty, I and mean, there's like multiple developers on that. It's like the three different developers at this point. Yeah. I bet even yeah. Activision was sweating Call of Duty before World War II because that was trending. Not like it wasn't tanking, yeah. but everything was up, up, and up. And now it was like, uh oh, it was like kind of the same, and then down, and then down. And like even them are yeah. they're the, they got this like wait the. This is sustainable We're, either. It's yeah, it's so bizarre. It's it's like it kind of it kind of uh, brought them back down to reality. You know, they're like, "Whoa, wait, we're not invincible." Yeah, it was a come <laughs> to Jesus moment where it's like, it, "No, yeah. we can't just we can't just release this every single year and it's going to be perfect. We got to yeah. keep innovating." It's yeah, got it's it. speaking of AAA games. I I can't answer this question because as I said, my game's still in plastic. But uh, <laughs> Tamron still wants to know yeah. honest feelings on Mass Effect and Dramana, and this is your like pretty much favorite series ever. So. <laughs> That's funny. I'm sure it's probably because um, I talked about you know I talked about Mass Effect a lot and yeah pe- people are always curious what I think about Andromeda. So I never I've never really like talked about it on Twitter. Um, oh, you're saying I'm you're saying it's an exclusive then you're giving me an exclusive <laughs> right now. I mean exclusive. <laughs> just just spitballing my thoughts out. Now nah, um, my journalist stuff is coming back out. I'm selling exclusive out. Here we go. <laughs> No, honestly, I mean, I had fun with the game, obviously. I mean, it's Mass Effect. I love Mass Effect. I had fun with it, but but I, I'm not a fanboy. You know, I recognize that it has a lot of rust spots that shouldn't have been there. Um, I, you, you haven't played it, right? So I have not played it. Yeah. I've seen a lot of it, but I've not. Anyone, played yeah, anyone who's played I'm sure you've seen a lot of a lot of it leading up to the release, probably. A lot of those memes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have no problem saying that, you know, things like the side missions, um, technical aspects of the game, you know, um, you know, some of the writing and whatnot had real issues that dragged the experience down for me because I, you know, had higher expectations. Overall, you know, it didn't, it didn't live up to the original trilogy for me because, I mean, so, so, but, but I look at it in context, right? This was made by Bioware Montreal, which was a, 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 uh, an arm of Bioware that was opened up because um, so Bioware Montreal handled Mass Effect 3's multiplayer portion, right? Handled that portion of the game while the main studio Bioware Edmonton um, handled the story, the single player. Um, so Bioware Montreal was kind of like an ancillary studio. It helmed the multiplayer of Mass Effect 3 and then after that it did a little bit of the DLC, handled handled one of the DLC expansions from Mass Effect 3, so it was like getting its feet wet. So EA was was kind of um, letting Montreal take the helm for Mass Effect, and mm-hmm. so so Edmonton could focus on Anthem. Um, so like putting context, you know, it was it was their first. It was their first experience putting a triple A AAA game together from nothing, you know, um, a brand new engine, Frostbite, and it's a lot of pressure to you know, when you have a, a, a freaking beloved series like Mass Effect. I mean, I'm a fan, but I've seen some crazy fans out, Mass Effect fans out there, man. I'm telling you, they're like cultists. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, like you mess with their baby, oh my god, you'll burn your house down. Um, so there was a lot of high expectations. That's why. I, I mean, really high expectations. So that was already stacked, stacked to get the deck against them. Um, and it was a brand new engine. So they were learning a lot of things at the same time and, you know, a fresh team. So, you know, put into context, I could see how it turned out the way it did. You know, it's unfortunate because I, I, I love the trilogy is my favorite trilogy of any IP of, you know, since I've started playing games since I was four or five. Um, 
I just love it that much. Um, so no. I, I had high expectations, but I, I'm also like you said, I'm not I'm not a crazy fanboy or warrior, or whatever. I'm re- I'm a reasonable person, so I put into context. I'm like, eh, you know, it's a shame it didn't turn out amazing, but it's mad. I still had fun, so uh, you know, I guess that's all I could say about it. Yeah, being reasonable on Twitter usually doesn't grab the the attention. So, exactly. Yeah, people, yeah, people are like, what? You got to have one opinion that's or not, the other. Yeah, it's, it's like, that's like, not what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. Oh. Get, get, where's the meat? You got to give me the. Where's the beef? Where's give me the all anchor? this crazy where's the shit? Fire, man? Yeah. Um. <laughs> All right, we're gonna bounce around a little bit because yeah. we're we're already like an hour deep. Um, I like this one. This is I always wondered whether my rushing to buy a game at launch means anything specifically for the developer. Like, mm-hmm. what if I wait until a month later or until a price drop that I contribute to a title's perceived failure? Mm-hmm. And like, this is I I have my credits in my name is the credits of one game, so I'm <laughs> not gonna try to be on this like really high horse and be like I know everything about this. Yeah, I do think especially for, for a major game, the publisher is looking at that first 24, 48 hours, that first week. Yeah. That does mean a lot, especially if you think a lot of people are rushing to get games out in March because of like, oh, fiscal year. Mm-hmm. We got to get this out in the fiscal year. And that matters for their investors. And if you mm-hmm. wait until, let's say, the, ne- the next quarter mm-hmm. to get that game, it doesn't contribute to the perceived success of it. And if you right. look at games right now, I mean, if I'm just being honest, it makes sense to wait, right? Because games yeah. drop in price so drastically, <laughs> I mean, so quickly. Sometimes, um, a lot of times, drop by half and within oh, a month. In, in like two months. Yeah. Like suddenly, it's like, oh my, but what do we think when we see that? When Wolfenstein 2 was suddenly $30. I was just say Wolfenstein 2, yeah. The I mean, first thing I thought was, oh no. I bought that game at launch, and that was, there was two reasons for that. One, I'm a Wolfenstein, uh, you know what, let me do three. One, one, there's a Wolf, I'm a Wolfenstein fan. Two, I was reading reviews, and I'm like, oh, this sounds really good. And three, I knew this game was not going to kill it at. Yeah the you know the box office to a certain yeah, extent and, and, and i want to support, support the developer it. yeah i want to support this developer and mm-hmm. I, let me say this like right up you mm-hmm. don't have an obligation if you don't have a lot of money yep. to spend 60 dollars on a game i don't blame someone for getting a exactly. used game i don't yep. blame someone for trading in games and using that money like, yeah. it, it happens i did it as a, when i was younger and i don't blame you if you do it when you're older yeah um but if you do i do strongly feel if you care about a developer yeah. And you know that it's it's hard to make video games, it's hard to make money on games. That's yeah. when I think you should buy it at launch. And I yeah. know that sucks sometimes, you want to wait, but I, in terms of perceived failure, perceived success, yeah. so much of it is on that first day, that first week, that first month, and that's just, it's just how it is. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. Some games have those like longer legs. Look at, Remember Lawbreakers earlier this year where they're yeah, still that, kind of holding out hope for it. What's going on with that? <laughs> it's it, nothing is is the thing. Like I you know what? Mm-hmm. It, it's that I did not play it, but from everything I saw, from everything I read, mm-hmm. that was a decent to good. Some people thought it was a great shooter. Yeah, yeah. But and it no I mean, one wanted it. Yeah, no what one's is like, playing it. Last I read dead. was like it was like a dozen people were playing it on That's Steam. Where I was like, at. my God. You know what? I played Dark Sector way back in the day, and there were more people playing the Dark Sector multiplayer oh with the gosh. Glaive than fucking Lawbreakers. And look, I, I think Cliff Blazinski has moments where he's really great, moments where he's kind of difficult yep. to listen to and read, yep. and yep. he seems a little bit, I don't know, disconnected from why it might have failed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the marketing behind that game didn't really work wonders for it, but Agreed. Th- that it's it's crazy that you know maybe people are just going to get into that when it's that could have it a second life as a free to play game. I think it maybe should have been free to play from the start. Uh, it was but, from the start, and then they changed and they switched it. it. Yeah, they switched it to uh, yeah. Might have been a bad move, but they, yeah. and, and that's a bummer because 
that studio could, speaking of one failure sinking a studio, yeah. what do they do now? Cliff Blazinski does not have unlimited money to pay his team. They're going to have to scale back, and that's a bummer for everyone involved yep. in it because it seemed like a guaranteed success. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping – look, I mean, like you said, I, I, I want everyone to be successful, right? No matter what I think – what anyone thinks about Cliff Blazinski or whatever, you know yeah. – um, like he he has a studio open. I mean, they there's a lot of great people there. A lot of great people there. A lot of a lot of people get get their livelihoods. A lot of families are supported from by people working there. And I want I would I mean I would love for them to just succeed. Um, but you know I, yeah. So I'm hoping I'm hoping whatever you know they have some outside investment come in or whatever because he doesn't have limited money and I hope he's got what you know another project kick in and you know I hope the best for them. So that, you know I want to say that much. Um. Yeah, it's it, that one's a bummer, and like, yeah. not, I didn't mean to make this entire question about no, that. No, no, but like, no, that one, no, that one still it. sticks out to me. Of just like, yeah. could you imagine making DLC and and future content yeah. for a game that twelve people are playing? Yeah, like how do you it's, it's how do you bad. motivate yourself for that? Like, yeah, this is this is for no one. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it sucks. Um, <sighs> yeah, I mean, for the question, I, I obviously I think you know buying a game at launch it signals to the developers, you know, on top of. Like you said, in terms of you know for investors and buying things in the quarter and whatnot, um, it also signals to them like you know if there's what in how much real tangible excitement there is like around the title, right? And you know of course, you know when the game is full price, that's obviously uh, mathematically that's more in the pocket of the developer, <laughs> you know and that's a good yeah. thing. Um, but yeah, like you said, I wouldn't go as far as to say that anyone you know like you contribute to its failure, you know you're not under any obligation to buy a game day one. Um, you know, there's still, there's still products being made for consumption. If you want to wait and, you know, see how a game's received or learn more in depth about a game before buying, you know, you're more than free to do that. So, and a lot of games nowadays, they have long legs after launch. I mean, they, they sell do. months, even a year or more, or more after launch. And, you know, developers definitely don't, I don't, they don't overlook those sales. I mean, Rainbow Six, it's huge now, and I remember initially it, it wasn't. I mean, it was fine, but like now it's a, it's a staple like multiplayer game that's regularly on the on the mouth the the tongues of you know multiplayer players out there. Um, I want to talk to someone from that development team so badly because I yeah. have so many questions about how they pulled that off. I had Eric Pope on here, who the yeah. Giant Bomb fans know, but is now working on for Honor, and they've had like they've had success. They've <laughs> done well, but. Um, Ubisoft Ubisoft games like yeah. Rainbow Six Siege has done insane things, and you talk about those legs. I think those legs are important, but the legs on uh, For Honor and on yeah. Rainbow Six are really dependent on uh, future updates. It may be people picking up later, and there's still a community mm-hmm. with Wolfenstein. Mm-hmm. That's where I worry. Where like yeah. th- there's yeah. not really legs there. There's legs after you put deals. And then the, I just, the, I just the I, yeah, I hope it's. At the end of the day, you know, lifetime to date sales. I just hope it sells enough that Bethesda's happy with it, and you know, I just hope that you know the next one's greenlit because I really love what Machine Games is doing with the IP. So I, I really hope the best for them. One of my favorite games of the year. It'll yeah. probably again. This will be. It, you'll already know at this point. Everyone has listened whether or not it made it in the top ten. I hope it makes it in the top ten of the ten ninety nine game of the year podcast because that oh, game yeah. is really good. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I. We'll see. I, I haven't decided yet. Um, yep. This is kind of piggybacking on that. This is from Historian on Games at uh-huh. Historian on. Uh, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, too. Uh, yeah. And maybe hopefully you have some insight on this. Uh, is there excitement yeah. in the industry over how well Hellblade has done? Uh, and are developers looking to emulate it, emulate yeah. this independent AAA space? Yeah. 
I'm afraid it might be an isolated success story. And I, I um, as soon yeah. as that game came out, I reached out to um, Ninja Theory and Ninja we talked back and forth. Yeah, we we tried to get something together with the podcast. They had such yeah. a crazy schedule afterward, and everyone goes on vacation after those situations very often right, if right, there's no DLC on the table. So I'm not of trying course. to push on that. And I haven't actually finished the game, which is a huge bummer. And did you actually? Were they? Did you have? Do you have a feel for how many are in Ninja Theory right now? Was it like 30 people or something? Not, it might even be less than that. It's not a big number. There's yeah, not I think a lot it's of like 25 there. in the 20s. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Just it's, incredible. That whole story is incredible. And yeah. I, when you talk about isolated success story, yeah, I, I lean more toward that than anything. Yeah, they because they already have the track record. Heavenly Sword, DMC, um, yeah. Enslaved, Enslaved is one of my favorite games. Like I love, I love Enslaved. I think yep, Enslaved love is Enslaved. criminally I, underrated. I, would, I I am so sad disappointed that i mean at least for now that there's not a sequel to that because i it left on the cliffhanger i know and I, that ending is so crazy oh, too. That shit's i so want messy. it man yeah i loved it so they already had this cachet this critical cachet and maybe yeah. not this commercial cachet all right so you already have this this established idea you you have money built up from some of those projects so you're investing your own money it's not kickstarter money yeah you're doing things in this very unique independent way where you don't need the publisher but yeah, and, and and there should be some enthusiasm because I think other studios who have a similar track record, which there aren't a lot out there, but some of the other ones can pull this off. This is possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if this game, I mean, if this game did sell, didn't get the critical response it did, this is a this is a critical word of mouth game. I think in a lot of cases where definitely if, if this was getting like fives and fours or sixes this, this wouldn't have been really success Definitely. and if it didn't sell those numbers then this is a complete disaster and oh yep. god what do we do and yeah. everything like that is in games so it should give some people yeah. some sort of comfort that this is possible but yeah. you think about there was that jim sterling review yeah. which i have thoughts on that i don't want to get into too much <laughs> um where he had this experience with it um and he gave it like this awful review right away yeah and he retracted it eventually which i think is the right move but I'll tell you what, as mm. someone mm. who, let's say, has reviewed games for a while and understands there's there's power in those scores. Yep. Um, and you can't always think about the livelihood of the developer when you're reviewing a game because then it might change the way you talk about games. I think it's more important to just judge something absent of that. <coughs> but yeah. when you have a single bad experience with something or maybe you're grumpy that day or maybe you are overworked that day and that's mm-hmm. how you review games, I think mm-hmm. that's dangerous. I think it's yeah. dangerous for your credibility, and I think it's dangerous for that yeah. developer and publisher. That one review could have sunk them 1,000%. That would drag their Metacritic through the dirt, and they'd have issues with it. Very and true. that's the difference between not just that one review, that you can get over it. If, if there was a whole bunch of eights and nines, and there was one, two, or a one, yeah. you get through that. But yeah. that can sink you. And yeah. that's how close, that's how, that's the razor edge we're on with these things, where that's the difference between failure and success, that's the difference between this being a disaster story and something that encourages other people. So I don't think this is mm. going to be this widespread industry trend of people doing this. I think it gives people some hope that can do it, but it's also super rare. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, on the, on the flip side, too, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sure... I mean, I, I think you can bet that there's some developers out there that might that the you know not AAA studios. Um, I'm sure they're at least studying you know Ninja Theory's case and and how to recreate you know that kind of production development cycle. Kind of you know just I'm sure it's going to be like a, a study case, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and to be honest, I've actually I mean I've personally talked 
to some that are doing just that. So I mean, I don't think, I don't, I don't think it, it's going to be an isolated success story. Maybe I mean, I mean, it might be. I don't. But I've talked to some developers that are, I mean, looking at what they did, and you know, they're seeing if that's something they can, you know, replicate. Um, so. I mean, I'm so, I, all in all, I'm just I'm really glad for it because I I think Hellblade was an incredible game, and uh, you know I wish Ninja Theory all the su- success in the world. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, yeah. I wish I would. I, I still need to play it. It's still on my list. I'm, it's a bummer. I'm going to be again arguing for games tomorrow, and someone's going to bring up Hellblade. Like, oh, uh, you haven't played it yet. I know. I I, I own oh. it. I know. So this is a stupid Josiah thing. They'll admit <laughs> to. I, I have it on PC. Um, yeah. So they had sent me. I, insider stuff they sent me a code because we're gonna do a podcast together and uh they sent it to me on pc and i have like a not super powerful but just powerful enough to run it right. pc but like it, it was chugging a bit so i was like hey um yeah. i did a speed test or a test beforehand be like hey i don't think it's gonna run super well i don't want to use this do you have ps4 code if not don't worry about it and they never yeah. got back to me because like again they're going through crazy stuff so yeah. because i am more of a console person i've not yeah. gotten to it on my pc yet and it bumped yeah. me out I'm, I'm stupid i should do it it's <laughs> i love all their stuff i love the concept of that yeah. I, I love the the way they're tackling mental illness and yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely it's a, just it's, de- it's a unique game it's definitely a very unique game and it's it's high quality um and yeah. it's just got ninja through and all over it, and i loved it so you know yeah you should definitely before the year is up man get on that and i know i need to do that <laughs> i'm gonna fuck i'm driving home 12 hours from jacksonville to pittsburgh next week and i feel like i'm so it's so oh, all wow. consuming yeah. it's one of those things where like it's coming up and uh, by the time this podcast yeah. airs i would have already gone i'll get yeah. through it but man i'm not looking forward to that and i'm like i'm yeah, not gonna yeah. have so much less time for that you get to eventually yeah, I'll eventually do it. Uh, we're yeah. running out of time. Let's do a couple of emails, and then yep. we'll close this out. Um, sure. This one's from... Uh, some of these are more podcast and media-related, but you'll also sure. have some inside yeah. other things. This person, this is from uh, Mitchell Weasel, or Wesel or mm-hmm. Weisel, however he wants to pronounce it. Um, hi, guys. Yep. I know you get the classic, how do I get into the field question all the time, but I find myself in a weird spot just a little past that. I had an essay published by a big-time website a little over a year ago, I've talked to that editor and a few other editors and some writers, and I've made a small, eclectic handful of connections, but I haven't found more work. I've heard Mm -hmm. that networking is the thing I need to focus on, but what does that even mean? How do I make friends with people based in major cities when I'm in the boonies of the Midwest? Where (laughs) do I go from here? How can I script an inkling of success into something more real? And if networking is the answer... How the hell do I get someone to like me just from sending cold emails? Thanks. I love the show and think uh, it's invaluable. Thank you so much for calling it that. Uh, awesome. Uh, this yeah. Is, this Ugh. is a weird one and one that... So when it comes to... Oh, man. I'm trying to think where I can even start with this. The fact that he already has... Uh, Mitchell already has this like essay published is a big step. Yeah. I was exactly going to say that. Yeah. That's huge. And a lot of this is portfolio. Mm-hmm. And it is... It is difficult to just cold email someone and expect, you know, them to immediately fall in love with you. It's 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 funny. Like you think about an IGN or a GameSpot, they get so many emails. Those editors, I've talked to a lot of them. I know a lot of them. Some of them are friends. They get so many emails that sometimes, even if there's quality stuff out there, they don't yeah. get time to even find it. And a lot of times, you need someone to recommend you, which I, I don't love the fact that that's how things are but sometimes that's how things are they, they yeah. need someone who they've worked with or who they trust but like hey yep. uh this person sent you an email go look at it this is someone yep. you want to deal with because yep. you don't want to waste your entire day looking at bad reviews or bad feature pitches and stuff like that so the fact that you have this essay published is big 
Yeah. Hold on to that. That's in your portfolio. You should, Agreed. if you haven't already, I'm guessing this person has, continue to write on your own blog and get stuff out there to make sure you have some stuff in 2017. And by the mm. time you listen to this, write some stuff in 2018 so people know you're still active. When it comes to networking, yep. I, if the fact that you're in this you know, small area, Midwest, boonies, um, yeah. I get Makes that. I, I grew up in a trailer in a place called Townville, Pennsylvania. Um <laughs> Which I there was Townville. there wasn't even a stop. It sounds fake. It sounds like the Powderpuff Girls place. It, there, there was, yeah, right. There was there was no stoplight. Um, the oh gas station gosh. didn't have gas anymore. It ended up just being a place where people would just chill and like smoke cigarettes and stuff yeah, like horse, that. It was not on carriages. Yeah, was, yeah, hundred percent it was. Yeah, there, there was actually like buggies everywhere. Um, <laughs> that's that that's the environment <laughs> I was in. I, this is going to be maybe not the best advice because it's going to require some money. Yeah. You're gonna have to go to some industry events, um, yeah. yep. and that's that changed my life. Meeting those people, that's where I met Michael Pactor. That's where I met Lauren Lanning, and that that led to having those contacts. That led to getting quotes from them. That led to I, that led to my first IGN feature. Yeah. Um, that led to GameSpot opportunities, and I think what basically to get to those events, you have to be invited, or you have to get some sort of media badge. I'm telling you right now the the barrier to entry is lower than you think. Um, yeah. You could write for Josiah Renaud and loves video Um yep. which doesn't exist, but maybe it will by tomorrow and yeah. uh, you will get media credentials. So what I would say mm-hmm. is you have that contact at a major site. That's big. You could yeah. parlay that into writing for a smaller site. There's paste. There's um, uh, gamer assault weekly. There's pe- places that either pay small or maybe don't pay yet, but have some cachet. You're building your experience from there. And then you can, you can you can cold contact people. Look for Twitter um, messages out there for people saying, "Hey, we're looking for reviewers. We're looking for pitches. We're looking for stuff like this." It is out there, and the networking will come if you can get some sort of credential at a PAX, at an E3, mm-hmm. at a, a smaller show. A game GDC is huge in terms of just finding interesting people, interesting ideas. Um, yeah. It it is hard. This, there's no. There's no exact science to this, especially with the emergence of Twitch yeah, and YouTube. Really and yeah. It, yeah, there's not a perfect way to do this. Um, but the fact that you already have the experience there is huge. You know that you belong. Mm-hmm. Keep working on your skills. Keep trying to talk to people. Yep. Keep it, Tweet at people. Email people. You're going to find it out there eventually. If you love this shit and you're good, you're going to find it. People will find you. Um, and that's, I think that's the best way to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Um I mean, honestly, I'm not sure I can give a great answer because I'm, uh, I mean, what I can give is my personal experience, I guess, in a nutshell. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, to preface, I'm not even really, me quote, in the field yet mm. myself, but I mean, I'm not even a journalist. I just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what people call me. Uh, online I, keep, per- I keep saying industry insider. Industry insider. I've heard, <clears throat> I've heard online personality, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I just, uh, just kind of harnessed uh like my, my passion for games online um on online forums you know specifically gaff um f- you know last five years whatever and uh just by constantly chatting people up there i was posting news just writing up features on my own and just adapting that passion everywhere i took it into twitter um started start up a twitter account and just i just started getting noticed online um People in the industry, it's funny, people in the industry are are really just, it's simple. They're really attracted to passionate 
people and just, yeah. you know actual polite fans. <laughs> Who would have thunk? Yeah, those are rare, you know, but they're attracted to that stuff. You can stand out like that. That's how I. That's what I did. That's literally how I got close to so many of these awesome developers. I mean, I. It's a, I mean a lot. Um, and it just takes time, you know. That's another thing, you know. This isn't going to happen overnight. No. Um, so like you said, you know, having that essay published is a really great first step and. I mean, it took me three, four years to even get to the point that I'm at today. Um, so, you know, just just keep hammering away, Mitchell. Encouraging <laughs> at times. There's gonna be times where yep. it feels like, like, God damn it, why haven't I gotten to this yet? Right. Like, am, I, am I? Should I even continue? You know, should I keep going with this? But you know, honestly, just that having that that essay published is a really good first step, man. Just just reiterating that. So. Yeah, um, and if if you if this is really really what you want to do, because keep in mind this is not yeah. the biggest money making thing in the world. Yep. This is this is not the most guaranteed thing. I always think yeah. you should have a backup plan, but yeah. uh, your backup plan should be that it should be backup. If you're really passionate about this, just keep yeah. going. You'll find it. I started writing uh, on a site. I, think, I was either 15 or 16 years old, and like yeah. I didn't get paid until I was tw- 20, yeah. maybe 19 or 20, and then I didn't yeah. get on Gamespot until I was. 21 so yeah. it, it it was young because i had started young and i was pretty clear early on of what i wanted to do but yeah it's a process you'll get there and like congratulations on getting that published yeah, um definitely. and you'll 1000 percent get there uh definitely. so two more then we'll be done um sure. this one okay all right there's a lot going on in this one uh okay. i wasn't sure if i was initially gonna read it but i think we should uh this one's okay. from uh, christian nissen nissen okay. nissan uh-huh. like the car um <laughs> hey josiah and Shinobi. Big fan of the podcast. I don't know when you'll be doing a Q&A episode again. Hey, right now. But I figured I'd shoot you a question anyway. Uh, as someone who is quite left-leaning, I often feel like sites like Waypoint and Polygon are preaching to the choir. When I see an article like Patrick Klepik's Now Stop Harassing Game Developers, I can't help but think who are these articles for? Anyone who reads Waypoint obviously knows that harassing game developers is not okay, and the headline reads in such an accusatory manner that someone on the fence would likely immediately take a defensive stance as people usually do when they feel accused of something, rather than read the article itself. If the purpose of sites like Waypoint and Polygon is to diversify and broaden our approach in how we make and criticize games, I feel like articles with headlines like this are counterproductive, simply stating something readers already know and pushing away everyone else. In general, I feel like there's been a weird barrier between what I see written on those sites and what I hear on on there and your podcast they're clearly capable of easily making a convincing point orally especially austin who is just brilliant i'll second that mm-hmm. yet often stumble when trying to convince people with written text i just don't see what benefits there are of making an obvious point in an aggressive way to an audience that already agrees i'm fairly sure austin will be able to explain to anyone in the entire world why x is a bad thing or why is problematic if he was standing there face to face, but I have to say that there seems to be a real struggle in communicating these points through text. Thanks for taking the time to read my email. I really enjoyed the podcast. Well, how's my week? Thank you. Keep up the good work, Duder. Um, boy, there's a lot going on with this one. Yeah. Uh, I barely knew where to start with it because um, I don't think this point well, it's definitely not incorrect in someone's opinion. I, I don't think this point's wrong. I, I think there is a, if you listen to waypoint radio with people like patrick and danica and austin most a lot of them have in this podcast there's this really smart measured 
approach to discussing a lot of these big topics when PewDiePie drops racial slurs, when mm. things go crazy in this industry, when when people are attacking developers, um, a lot of times the tweets, the headlines, and the articles themselves can come off as accusatory. And you know what? I don't blame them sometimes. There's an anger with it, right? Yeah. Where someone's like attacking developers and you're like, fucking stay. Yep be smarter than this and you're you want to almost when you get clapped at you want to clap back and i I think sometimes that comes across in headlines and i I don't think it's always productive i don't want to get into gamergate stuff too much but there was a lot of there's an obvious bad guy in that for anyone who went through that i would understand (coughs) really direct and strong on twitter but there was also just like a name calling back and forth that i don't think helps anyone you're even if if your point is strong and good Mm -hmm. and you're in the right but you're adding like you're calling people an asshole at the same time and a motherfucker (laughs) it it doesn't make you want to listen yeah and i don't blame people for doing that i'm not saying they were wrong in doing that i'm just saying i understand why that can be harder to take the point when you could be like hey we need to be in more open industry you douchebag and you're like okay well hold on <laughs> like yeah. now i don't want to listen to you because you've already gone at me on that and i think the majority of the like almost everyone involved in gamergate are bad people so yeah. like, i don't feel bad for them but i do understand this point about the way we talk about things i was just listening right before this podcast um mm-hmm. there was a podcast between colin moriarty and um brian altano and mm-hmm. They had their friends, but they disagreed on a lot of things. They basically sat down to talk about that tweet that um, Colin put out that was stupid about women right before he left. Kind of funny. But the conversation is direct and it's interesting and it's it's they don't pull punches at each other. They really go through it and they're not afraid to, you know, have an actual conflict to actually go through it. And it comes off as like. Look, I'm not a huge Colin fan. I don't know him personally, just from a distance. I'm not a huge Colin fan. Yeah. But I was happy that the conversation happened and they were able to talk it through. And on Twitter and on in articles, that's not really possible. It's not really a dialogue. It's it's two people who already have these set point of views who can't yep. talk to each other like humans. Mm-hmm. You're just seeing angry messages. So mm-hmm. I think we need to get better at that. Um, and I'm not trying to be on the fence here because I also understand the anger with it and the tones don't always come through in the right way it's same thing like sometimes you get an email where you're like man that tone was awful i don't really know if you meant it like that so yeah, yeah I, that's kind of where i'm at with yeah that. i mean i it's hard for me to really um because i don't i don't i mean to, i'll be honest i don't read uh polygon or waypoints work all that often not because i don't i don't think that work is worth reading but simply because of time constraint scheduling i don't i don't read much of you know a lot of uh, publications but I mean, I can only speculate to what their reasons would be. Um, you know, I'm sure these articles <clears throat> might be read mostly by people that agree with them. But hey, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they still find their way to people that <coughs> who engage in, who engage in those kinds of activities and could be an eye, eye opener for them. Um, but you know, just to comment on that, on what you were saying, you know, I, j- I just want the dialogue and the relationship between fans and game developers to improve because I mean. I really feel like there's an invisible wall now um, that separates the two and it makes fans and players treat developers with a lot of contempt. And at the end of the day, they're just normal people, um, just like you and me. And 
uh, rightly or wrongly, meaning you know, meaning even if a developer or a publisher or whoever did something that might have wronged me or you, you know, you don't lash out and attack. That's 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 the tactic of a, of a child, you know, just <clears throat> take a step back, just criticize, and t- constructively have a dialogue, talk about things you want to improve. Um, yeah, I just I, I think I might be close to it because I I see it a lot because a lot of my friends work in games and they always tell me how they feel when they might make an honest an honest mistake and sometimes that costs them their jobs. Yeah. Um, or they got so much attention th- online that it it feels like the entire internet is attacking them. You know, I, I just I really hope that that changes um going forward. So it's sad to see. Um. There needs to be more humanity in this. Yeah, industry man. In just, general. just, just take a step back, relax, just calm down. Games are fucking hard to make, and yeah. everyone makes mistakes on all sides with this kind of stuff. And I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not an all sides person. Like it, going back to like the yep. waypoint, the waypoint polygon thing. Like some of those assholes online are not even worth trying to talk to and convince. They're just trying to start shit <laughs> out there, stir the pot. Yeah. You know, I don't see any value in that, and you shouldn't have to change your tone to help bring them in but there are people that i think we can maybe have more civil conversations with and try to make them understand things and make everyone understand stuff um Definitely. yeah uh let's do this last one and then we'll be sure. good i'm not going to answer the entire thing because it's long yep. um but i think this is actually an email from the last q a podcast that i didn't get to so i at least wanted okay. to read part of it because i told him i would uh <laughs> this is from vincent ader adder ader um, and Vincent says, I, I recently started listening to the podcast out of the blue. I think I found it through someone retweeting you and then following your link through the Twitter description and listen to the episode where you interviewed Danica. Thank you. I like that episode a lot. Danica is awesome. Um, I'm a big fan of everything I've heard and coming from a Waypoint fan base, I really enjoy hearing content that isn't strictly review or critique of a game when it comes to games journalism. So here's my question for you and a little background on why I'm asking them. Uh, I was wondering how you got into games journalism as a career. Sorry, you may have answered this before. I haven't listened to everything yet. Um, but further, do you think your background in terms of school, childhood, et cetera, has been a significant influence on your career choice and the opportunities you've had with that in mind? Do you have any advice to someone who has no journalism background to break into the industry? I imagine it's just as hard, if not harder than getting a job at a triple a development company. What are, what were some of the first steps or opportunities you took advantage of that were significant milestones of your career? Finally, what are one of, what's some of your favorite moments while working in the past few years? The reason I'm curious is because I went to a school for career science with the intent of eventually making games. However, I found it to be difficult to get a job in the industry without having prior experience. God, that's everything. Um, I'm now working uh, grunt programmer positions at various small software companies. It's not as exciting as I'd hope. Um, just a few more things. Uh, this sounds like a, a you question. Yeah, I know. This really does. Uh, well. <laughs> And last thing it says, you know, hope any of this yeah. is useful to you. I really enjoy the show. I plan on listening a lot more. Keep up the good work. Thank you again. Um, I'll, I, I have talked a little bit of how I got into this. I won't get into that too much. And we yeah. talked about it earlier. A lot of it is, was just, you know, having an interest in writing, having an interest in games, putting two and two together, uh, working my ass off, getting to where I wanted to be and, and, yeah. and everything like that. Uh, I, I think that's probably out there somewhere. I, I kind of wanted to use this moment to close as a, uh, he asks right over here uh, mm. about favorite moments. Yeah. Um, where is this again? Yeah, favorite moments while working in the past few years. And that's, I think, yeah. something we can both relate to. And uh, yeah, I don't mean to downplay the rest of the question. It's a really good question. Yeah. And I'll probably answer this over email more directly later or, or in a different podcast. But mm-hmm. uh, favorite moments in, in terms of just in general, like I, I've had a lot of incredible moments in terms of writing for Kevin Van Orde at GameSpot was a dream since I was younger. 
Yeah, I'm sorry, Kevin. That wasn't intentionally to make you feel old, but like <laughs> th- th- that was its, its dream. And having him like really enjoy my work and, and paying compliments. I'm not ever like begging for compliments, but getting that was one of the most rewarding, fulfilling moments of like, oh, oh yeah, god, sure, I, I can yeah. really do this. Um, talking to the Darksiders two developers, uh, I talked to all three of them after the game came out, and that was with Kevin when I was a no one. I was 19 years old. I didn't know anything about interviewing. I was awful at it. That's um, awesome. And like Kevin called me into the GameSpot studio because my recording software wasn't working. And that yeah. was like the nice thing he could do for me. Like going to E3, getting invited to Michael Packer's party when I was just 21. Uh-huh. Um, seeing, you know, Jeff Keeley shaking Lauren Lanning, getting a drink with Lauren Lanning. We both had old fashions. At, uh-huh. You know, we had Manhattans with Lauren Lanning and meeting Vince Ampella and all the Game Informer staff. And mm-hmm. there's been a lot of moments. But I'll, I'll tell you, the majority of the most incredible stuff beyond GameSpot and beyond uh, tan gentleman with all those incredible people has been this podcast uh yeah. it's been this idea of oh, this is gonna be a freelance focused podcast and we're gonna yeah. talk to other freelancers about what we like to do and our work and our our habits to suddenly talking to adam sessler to suddenly talking to lauren lanning to suddenly talking to mike laidlaw to That's talking great. to yeah. like these people andrew renee jeff gersman these people who i've looked up to my entire life and we're probably similar and when you're a big fan of games, you, you see these people above you in a certain way, not in this derogatory way, but in this like, oh my God, they've accomplished so much and I've accomplished so little. Yeah. Um, and then getting on a Skype call with them for an hour every single week, different people and, mm-hmm. and talking to them on a similar level and learning all this stuff and feeling like they almost become your friends has been, uh, it, it hasn't really sunk in yet. A lot of these conversations haven't sunk in yet. Sometimes I, I scroll through the list and I'm like, I talked to Vinny for 90 minutes from Giant Bomb. What the hell? Or like, I, I talked mm-hmm. to, like, you know, this person who created Halo or this person who created this. And it's, that's been some of the most <coughs> incredible yeah. and humbling stuff I've ever had. So yeah, the reason I want to ask this question is because I think you probably have some stuff too where you're just like, oh my God, how did I get here moments? Oh, for sure. I mean, I mean, uh, there's, I don't know where, where to even pinpoint, you know, specific ones. It's just, uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, I've always just played games for fun, you know, growing up. Um, To get to be at the point where I'm at now, uh, where I literally, I talk with a lot of game developers, you know, privately, casually, on the phone, um, just chatting them up on on Google Chat, you know, or through through Twitter. Uh, We're close friends now. I never dreamed I would be where I am now. Um, Just last year, I was having dinner with, the general manager of Bioware, you know, Aaron Flynn and, 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 Mac Wal- and Mac Walters and, and Jonathan Warner, you know, he's a game director on Anthem right now. We were having dinner together and just having a good time. Um, and uh, it's humbling because it, it all just happened through passion. Really. I, I just love games and uh, to see, to see that recognize and that be like the driving factor to get me where I'm at. To get me where I am today. Um, it's really humbling, and uh, I'm not even a game journalist, you know. Just uh, <laughs> whatever you know, if people want to call me in, in, industry insider, you know, whatever they want to call me, um, I'm just a normal guy. And it's I'll never I'll never get over how humbling it is to that I you know I talk to these people simply because of just my personality and just my you know my passion it's, it's something yeah. I, I won't take for granted and uh i'm actually you know um not ready to share anything yet but i'm i'm in the processes of uh 
you know, trying to get my foot in the door. So, uh, you know, I just, I just hope, uh, things continue to go the way they do. And, uh, you know, that's all I can say about that. I just, it's just yeah. really humbling to be where I'm at today. So no, trust me. I, this is, it's the kind of thing that yeah. sometimes you're so busy in life, you don't think about it. And then yeah. a lot of the, the, the podcast has been fun because it gave me opportunity to step back for sure and, and look at some of the stuff. And it's been nice to also bring people in, Mm-hmm. who also get a chance to look back at what's happened they're like oh my god this Definitely. is crazy Definitely. like we're all the, we're all in the same boat of like being fans of this and you never feel like you're on that same level as people and suddenly look around and you're like oh shit yeah like, yeah, yeah. Like, people like care what i have to say and yeah. i've done work that now has resonated with people the same way that it might have resonated with me when i was a kid exactly um, yeah. and that means a lot and it's i'll always it's be yeah it's i'll always be thankful for where i am um, 100%, 100%. but yeah hey show me thanks for doing this this is um i, I we're, i'm gonna do more of these shows in the future with different people and yeah i definitely want to get the ball rolling with you and we've added some incredible questions uh a lot more that we couldn't get to thanks everyone for definitely great questions yeah uh so yeah by the time this goes up we're recording this in december but this will come out 2018 so <laughs> a lot to look forward to uh hello I'm, to my future self yeah i know it's crazy right <laughs> i i only hope the best for you in 2018 I, ho- I hope you get your foot in the door and find that perfect job in the industry you're one of my favorite twitter follows i, I could be a grumpy person i think that comes <laughs> with being someone who's reviewed video games before it's nice to have that positive force right. in the industry who talks about games in this passionate way as someone who this means a lot and you care about the developers you care about the people who play it yep. and yep. we need you in this industry especially with how crazy and awful <laughs> things have been in 2017 it's good to have someone around who's positive and yeah we'll, <laughs> we'll do this again in like a year or so when yeah definitely. when who knows what's out and we can when suddenly yeah. anthems out i'll need you oh, on yeah. to talk about that so Definitely yeah have, thanks have again. a good chat about it yeah Th- thanks so much man i appreciate those kind of words i mean it's, it's uh, words like that that keep me uh keep me motivated to stay positive you know so i appreciate it yeah someone has to be positive in this industry <laughs> so cynical. Exactly. Uh, thanks again for all the questions thanks everyone for listening hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099 